Good morning. Um, I, if you have your Bibles with you or, uh, or your devices, whatever you use, I'm going to invite you to do something that you haven't uh, done in quite a while. I'm going to ask you to open it to someplace other than the Gospel of John. <clears throat> so today we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel in chapters 27 and 28, so open them to Matthew chapter 27. <clears throat> and this, uh, this is the first time all year that uh, Brian has asked me to do this that I haven't been assigned a text to preach on. And as Jeff mentioned earlier, this is in the liturgical calendar. This is Christ the King Sunday, and that leaves uh, the subject matter pretty wide open. In other words, you can use almost all the Bible if you want to preach on Christ the King. So <clears throat> there's a lot to choose from. And I have a place in my basement where, uh, where I go to prepare, and I have for years because I've I've been teaching a Bible study on, on Sunday mornings for many, many years, and I, go to the, or, and I go to this place to prepare for it, or if I'm going to write a sermon, I always go there, and it's the place I go to seek God's direction as to what He wants me to talk about or communicate, and it's a place where God meets me, I guess, or I meet Him, depending on how you want to look at it, where He speaks to me, and He teaches me. And it's a place of, uh, well, for me, it's a place of divine revelation. For me, I guess I could call it, it's my Mount Sinai. It's where I go to meet God and God comes to meet me. And for me, really, it's holy ground. So I, um, <clears throat> I, I go there, he speaks to me, and I hear his voice. And since I had no real assignment this weekend, I decided, well, maybe I'll go there and see what he has to say about this morning's message. And in this space, there's a desk in the middle where I do the work, but on each side of the desk, there are a couple of tall bookshelves, and uh, those are shelves where I keep all my commentaries and my, my reference books and so forth, but there are also various books that are written by various Christian authors that uh, I've read and kept over the years, Authors such as uh, C.S. Lewis or Chuck Swindoll or Billy Graham or Leslie Weatherhead or R.C. Sproul and quite a few others. So I went there these past couple weeks to pray about what I should talk about this morning on Christ the King Sunday. And as I sat there waiting for God to give me some kind of direction, uh, my eyes landed on one of the books that was on one of these shelves. It was a book by a man by the name of Max Lucado. Many, may, maybe you've read some of his books. And the book was entitled, He Still Moves Stones. And it, and it got me thinking about that stone that lied in front of the, the tomb. And uh, it also directed me to another book by Erwin Lutzer, who, by the way, is the pastor of the Moody Bible Church. And it led me then to Matthew 27. So let's go there, and I want to read, starting in Matthew 27, verse 57. This is going to be a long reading, so hang with me, and I've got to get my 
glasses out so I can see it. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 57, and then we will go into chapter 28 as well. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, then Pilate ordered it to be given over to him. And Joseph took the body, and he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb, and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary, sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, which is the one after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come and steal him away and say to the people that he has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go and make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Now after the Sabbath, <clears throat> as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and, and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, just as he said, Come, see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my disciples to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now while they were on the way, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and counseled together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Let me read that last verse again. 
They took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I would just ask that your spirit might come and be with us this morning. I pray for myself and I pray for everyone here. I especially pray for the one who needs you the most this morning, either here or those listening online. And I also pray for the one who thinks they need you the least. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. You know, my wife and I have, uh, we've been blessed to have been able to travel to Israel a number of times. And there is a site in Jerusalem called the Garden Tomb. And they claim it's the actual site of where Jesus was buried, although there are plenty of scholars and historians that dispute that. But at the very least, it's very representative of the type of tomb that Jesus would have been buried in that is depicted in the Bible. And I got some pictures here. That's the picture of the tomb there. And then... That's the picture of the entryway from the side, and you can see the trough where the stone would have been rolled up in front of the tomb so nobody could get in. How they sealed it, though, I don't really know. And then there's the picture of the inside of the tomb where Jesus or whoever was buried there would have, uh, would have, would have been there. So at any rate, um, it's... A, it's if you look at the entry of the tomb, it's about four feet high. And at the base of the entryway is a slanted trough that the stone would fit in and they would roll it then in front of the tomb. And just by looking at it, one would imagine that that stone would have, had, would have been about six inches wide and about six feet in diameter and if you estimate the weight of it, it would be somewhere between one and two tons. So it would, it would require a significant effort just to roll the stone up there because it's at an incline. And once it's in place, you, it would be very difficult to roll it away. Anyway, as I sat there in my basement, I was thinking about that stone. And I realized that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to our Christian faith. Without the resurrection, Christianity is nothing but a myth. You think about it. Without the resurrection, Christianity is nothing but a myth. And as one man said, if it's a myth, then I am myth-taken. I am mythified or I am mithrable. We, you know, we state in our Apostles' Creed that we believe in the resurrection. Paul states in Romans that belief in the resurrection is central to salvation. In Romans 10, verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. 
So in other words, no belief in the resurrection, no salvation. The resurrection is the source of all of our hope. It is the source of all of our joy. But here is an abiding truth, friends. When we read this story in Matthew's gospel, we realize that not everybody is happy that Jesus rose from the dead. We realize not everybody's happy about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, in our world today, it is becoming increasingly obvious that most people want nothing to do with the risen Christ. And it's been true throughout history. When you think about it, every, in every generation, there has always been those who wanted to keep Jesus confined. They wanted to keep Jesus in the tomb. They didn't want to deal with a risen Christ. And it started even before he rose from the dead. As we read in that story, the day before, the Pharisees tell Pilate, if this happens, Things will be worse than when he was alive. We need to keep that thing sealed. We need to keep that thing covered. We need to keep that stone in place. We need to keep that guy in the tomb. You see, for the religious, if you think about this, for the religious, those who, fi those who find their power and their authority and their security in religion... A, resurrection, a resurrected Christ is a threat. He, he overturns their tables, their tables of control, their tables of man-made rules that benefit them. Tables that allow them to play God on earth. And it behooves the religious to keep Jesus in the tomb so that they can, they can make up their own rules. And this was true of the Jewish leaders at the time of Jesus. And it's also been true of the church. I mean, if you look at the history of the church, you go by the Catholic church over the centuries with all of their papal edicts and their inquisitions and their indulgences. They're all designed to exert control over rulers and kings and especially the masses. And we Protestants... Well, we're not all that different. We just do it in more subtle ways. How, think about this. How would the risen Christ be received in the church today? How would the risen Christ be received in the church today? So we take this great stone of religion and we cover the tomb so that he can't get out. But it's not just religion. If you go back throughout, throughout history, there have been many kinds of stones that have been rolled over to and they're designed to keep Christ in the grave. And we see, you know, we seem to keep rolling them out with each new generation, yet none of them have had any success. Let's look at a few of these stones. And this was going through my mind as I was thinking about this. There's the stone of religion that tries to keep Christ confined but there's also the stone of philosophy. In the 18th century, there was a man named David Hume who took the stone of philosophy and rolled it in front of Christ's grave. And any student of elementary philosophy is exposed to his work. It's a, a work titled A Treatise on Human Nature. 
where in that work he postulates that that desire rather than reason is what governs human behavior. Or his essay on miracles, which stated that miracles have never occurred since all of nature is uniformly opposed to miracles. Well, think about that. By definition, a miracle is something that supersedes natural law. So really what he's just, he's engaging in circular reasoning there. And since Hume, there have been a parade of philosophers that have attempted to roll stone after stone after stone over the tomb of Christ, yet none of them have been able to keep him dead and buried. And then in the 19th century, A man by the name of Karl Marx took the stones of economics and sociology and rolled them over the grave. Though, you know, by the way, Karl Marx was baptized as a Lutheran. (laughs) He later turned against the Christian faith and he wrote the Communist Manifesto and Das Kapital and he claimed that religion, religion was nothing more than the opiate of the masses stating eventually that all religion would die out altogether. Well, interesting, interestingly to me anyway, the Church of Jesus Christ has always been the strongest and most vibrant in communist countries. I think that's interesting. Well, Marxism and communism and socialism, they eventually collapse wherever they're tried. But the Church of Jesus Christ continues. Marx and all of his systems could not keep Jesus in the tomb. And then there's a stone of psychology or psychotherapy. This one, it was introduced by a man named Sigmund Freud. You remember him, right? He, He said religion was nothing more than a figment of people's imaginations. It's a it's a projection created by us to give us a sense of security. It's driven by our aggressions or our sex drives or our desires for a father image. We created the image of God because we needed a father image. Freud believed that psychoanalysis would be the answer to all people's mental problems. Well, you know, a few years ago, there was a cover story on Time magazine that uh, and it, and it on the front of the have you seen that on the front of the magazine was a picture of psychiatry itself on the couch, and, and it said in the article that there there is no evidence anywhere that psychiatry has been able to help society. In fact, today there are over two hundred theories regarding the nature of man. And the entire field of psychotherapy is in disarray. Well, next comes the stone of culturalism or naturalism. And this came through a man by the name of Voltaire. He was in the 1700s. He was a French member of the Enlightenment. And he was a critic of the church. He rejected Jesus Christ, and he rejected the Bible, and he predicted that within a hundred years, the Bible would be a forgotten book. This is in the 1700s. And when you you read about Voltaire, there are numerous accounts of his deathbed sayings. And among them, he said, 
I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. There's no telling me now that there is no hell because I can feel the flames. And it's recorded, and this is my favorite, it's, it's recorded that when a priest came to administer his last rites, and he asked him, do you renounce Satan? Voltaire replied, now is probably not the best time to make new enemies. <laughs> I love that. But it is so true. You know, ironically, a hundred years after Voltaire's death, his house was purchased and became the headquarters of the Geneva Bible Society, which was an organization that distributes Bible throughout Europe in Voltaire's house, who said that the Bible would be a forgotten book in a hundred years. Now, finally, then, there's another stone, the stone of science. This one we can all get into. And immediately, a man by the name of Charles Darwin comes to mind. And, and, and he came with evolutionary theory. And I read once, and I love this, a girl was asked about evolution, and this was her response. She said, when I was in grade school... They told me that a frog turning into a prince was a fairy tale. When I got to college, they told me it was fact. And that is so true. But evolutionary theory is in real trouble. Even leading evolutionists admit that their theories are unbelievable. And ever since the discovery of DNA and all, and all the intricacies of that, it's been shown scientifically and it's been shown mathematically that evolution is impossible. But we still teach it, don't we? Like the Pharisees, I mean, we got to keep that stone in front of the tomb, even if it's a lie. And we still teach it. They paid the soldiers to spread the lie. We still pay people today to spread the lie. You know, if you look at the past, or the past 50 years, our entire education structure has brought about stone after stone after stone to keep Jesus hidden away. From grade school to the hallowed halls of higher education, one stone after another, and when you look at our world today, our own country today, the new buzzword or the new ism is progressivism. You've probably heard about that. We can run our own show, we say. Government is the answer to everything. Government will solve all of our problems. Government will meet all of our needs. You know, we just... We just came through another election year. Wasn't that fun? And out comes the stone of politics, one right after another. So many different stones for us to choose from. And all of them supposedly the answer to everything, but none of them really ever are, are they? And then there's the stones of humanism, or the secularism, and they're all designed for one purpose, to keep Jesus dead and buried 
never to be heard from, never to be, never to be seen again. So, friends, I want to share with you an abiding truth. No matter what stones we use to try to keep Jesus in the tomb, none of them work. Because he rolls away every single one of them. Because he's alive and he lives. Kingdoms can come and kingdoms can go, but Jesus Christ lives. Centuries come and centuries go and Jesus Christ lives. Kings are crowned and kings are deposed. But Jesus Christ still lives. And skeptics can laugh and skeptics can mock. But Jesus Christ lives. Emperors and governments can decree his extinction. But Jesus Christ lives. The Supreme Court of the United States and all of Washington can write him off and write him out. But he still lives. He lives. And he is the king. He is the king over all the earth and all the things in it. And that includes peoples of all religions, all cultures, all backgrounds. It includes all of those who think that they can keep Christ in the grave by rolling one stone after another after another and try to keep him dead. And it includes you and it includes me. And I, I'll get a little personal here because it's, it applies to me as well as it applies to anybody else. And it's something maybe for us to think about as we move into the Advent season. So let me pose this question to you. Do you have a stone of your own making? Do you have a stone that you have been rolling in front of that tomb to keep Jesus buried away? in some area of your life? Do you have a stone of your own making to keep Jesus confined? Are there places in you where you would just as soon see Jesus stay dead? I know there are in my life where I, you know, I, I know we all have them, because I have quite a few of them where there are places in me that I just soon Jesus stay away and let me run things. So ask yourself what's yours? What stone have you crafted to put over that tomb? You can ponder that. So let me give you one last truth. Even those stones the stones that you and I use to keep Jesus buried away, they don't work any more than any of the other ones do. I have come to find that out. Every time I try to put him back into the grave, he keeps coming out. Because he lives. And he's alive. He's not dead. He lives and he is the king as we are celebrating this, week, uh, this Sunday. And Max Lucado got it right. He still moves stones. Even today. In your life and in my life and throughout the world. Amen. Let's pray.
Oh, Lord, we just come to you this morning and we reflect on this story of the stone that over your grave. And it is so easy to see ourselves in that story somewhere, if not everywhere. For the most part, we would proclaim that we rejoice in the empty tomb and we, uh, we celebrate your resurrection, but we also confess that we have crafted stones of our own making to keep you hidden away. So, Father, I just thank you that even those that we create, you will not let stay. That you will come again and that you will roll those stones away and you'll truly make us free. So I give you thanks for that, Lord, and I just pray again that everyone here will meet you, that you would come and meet us at our point of need, whatever that might be, on this day. Today we proclaim you as king. And we ask it in your name, Lord.